Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, to uh, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Alrighty, so straight off the bat, we're going to do things a bit different this episode. Uh, my guest, <coughs> Sean Farlow, singer of one of Philly, one of America's great, well, American hardcore, post-hardcore, that umbrella's greatest bands, in my opinion, at the at this very current point in time. Uh, whose EP Bloom at Night was released in November last year, and you really, really should go check it out. Um, you may, you probably would have heard it on uh, one of my top tens last year. Hopefully, if you listen to that, if you haven't, do yourself a favour. It's fucking cracking. Um, anyhow, I digest. Sean Follow, singer of Sunstroke. Um, he, we recorded this episode across two nights. It was very late where... Well, it was, it was midnight when I started recording and it was 8am on a Saturday and then a Sunday where, when, you know, where he was. Because that's how, you know, the world is the world is a, a sphere and the sun is in different places at different times depending on where you are. Or maybe the, the sun, you know, the sun stands still, but we, we, you know, you know how it works. You know how fucking astrology works. Anyhow, I'm... Di- <clears throat> pardon me, I'm digesting. Um... So, and we talked for about probably four and a half hours in total. Maybe even longer, actually. No, it was about four and a half hours in total um, across those two nights. So what I decided to do was um, I'm going to split both podcasts up into two parts. So this one will be the first half, obviously, because it says part one. And the second part will come next, next week. And it doesn't mean that that is it for, you know, that's the two episodes a month. It just means that part the episode forty six is split into two parts. Now, if this goes well and people actually like it, um, I might just keep doing it because I asked a few close friends, um, and they mentioned a lot of them. Well, one of them was very staunch and said, "Whole episode, three hours, four hours long, balls and all, whatever, do it." But a lot of them, a lot of them said, "Look, I get scared whenever I see something goes that goes for two and a half hours, and I kind of, unless I really know the person." Um, I kind of tend to skip it, which is fine. I do too um, with a lot of the podcasts I listen to. So, you know, but I'm hoping, you know, that people also look at it and go, well, Joel's trying to curate something interesting and cool. And if I like it, chances are you probably will like it as well. And I like Sean's band. And as it turns out, Sean is a fantastic person with a hell of a story. And one of the greatest analogies I've ever heard uh, which I think I give his praises on it and I will be stealing it for the rest of my life, which I think I mentioned in the episode. Um, so, yeah, we'll give it a crack, two episodes, see what happens, um, which kind of means that if, all, you know, an episode should be... You, you'll get some kind of content from me, pardon me, every week, which will be interesting. And it also kind of makes it a bit easier for me because it means I don't have to crunch and do like a huge episode in one hit I can kind of pace myself a bit more and split it into two so yeah I mean look hopefully you dig it you know if like I'd love to hear your feedback regardless because um, it's always interesting um, what else is there by the time you hear this there shall be a winner um, there shall be a winner in regards to like the winner of the two bottles of hot sauce that I'm giving away in regards to the High Age Podcast Album Challenge. Yeah, High Age Podcast Album Challenge, um, which is what Nate and Moke from the High Fives Podcast and myself kind of put together with the help of some other people. 
Um, yeah, I was going to give away two bottles of hot sauce to someone who participated. The response, as I mentioned in the last episode, was fucking overwhelming. Like, it was, there were so many more people than we thought would do it. And it was cool because people also kind of came out of the woodwork who have don't necessarily say they listen to the podcast or, you know, don't interact as much or whatever. But all of a sudden, that, it was like, oh, this person. Fucking, how cool is that? So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, and we will be... Well, I aim to... I try to push the boys into doing another one. Just like, we'll do two a year. So, you know, one in February, one in August, September. You know, spread it apart. It, it's very... It's, it's not draining, but it's, there's pressure. There's pressure involved, and no one needs that much pressure. Very... Like, all too often, so... Yeah. Did I mention we're part of the um, Podbelly Network? Because we are. My podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Uh, Podbelly is a fantastic resource of pod, both podcast information, as in, do you want to start up a podcast? You know you do. You've always thought of it. You drive, you're driving to work and you listen to me talk and you listen to the fucking Joe Rogan and, you know, you listen to the High Fives podcast and you listen to the, some fucking twisted murder podcast because that's, you know, all the kids are listening to that these days. And you're like, I've got this fantastic idea, but I don't know how to get... I don't know how to piece it all together. Go to podbelly.com. There's a whole bunch of information on how to upload stuff, what microphones to use, what interface you'll need, da-da-da-da-da. And also on top of all that, there's a really cool... There's a a cool, you know, network of podcasts. So, um, you know, as I've mentioned many times before, we've had Dave Moten from the Sofa King podcast, which is one of the greatest podcasts that are out there at the moment. Um... We've had uh, Paddy Larson, who is one of the one of the two hosts of the Just the Worst podcast, which is also a fantastic podcast. Two women just talking shit, and sometimes they have a topic, and sometimes they don't. But it's always really, really entertaining. Um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, also sponsored by Never Forget This One. Also sponsored by Gringo Bandito. Look, you know, you know me. You know I love me Gringo Bandito. Um, the, yeah, they're the four of the the four of the best. Well, the best hot sauce, in my opinion, the best hot sauce in the world, and everyone that eats it, you know, doesn't disagree. It's it's the, the pitch that I give, especially with the red hot sauce. The pitch that I give is like when you're in a shop and you're like, oh fuck, there's all these hot sauces, and I just don't know which one's going to be good and which one's going to be bad. But you have in the back of your mind and on your tongue, you know what you want this hot sauce to taste like and then you buy the red one and crack it open and throw it on a pizza or a burrito or fucking ice cream or whatever and you're like oh this is exactly what I had in my mind that I wanted to get out of a hot sauce that's how good it is it's not too hot because who really like realistically who wants a hot sauce that's just gonna give you grief give you grief going in and out um, it's just, it's, it's a, almost a misnomer to call it a hot sauce because it's, it's a, it's a condiment that ha- a really, really tasty condiment that has heat. Um, the red being the chillest and then the green gets a bit warmer and then the super hot, which is the orange and then the yellow really ramp it up. But if you stick with the OG red, you're fucking laughing. You put it on everything, you know? So Gringo Bandito. In Australia, you can you can get it on eBay. You can get it from blastoffimports.com. Um, in the US and Canada, you can get it on, I guess, gringobandito.com. Amazon, I'm sure. Um, 
you should just try it out. And look, if you order some, let me know what you think. Really keen to know your thoughts. Um, tell them I sent you. I don't have any discount code because, you know, it's it's a well-priced hot sauce. Um, and it's a small independent company, so it's, you know, they've been doing the damn thing for about 12 years, I think. Maybe a bit longer, but anyhow. So that's that. Um, I'm... I'm rambling on now, and I apologise. Well, I, I apologise for that because, you know, whatever. I've got to get stuff out. Um, so, yeah, part one of a two-part podcast, uh, two-part conversation with Sean Fallow from Sunstroke. No song today because I just didn't have time to get around to kind of scoping one out. But, you know, do yourself a favour at the end of this episode. Go on to Spotify, go on to Bandcamp, go on to wherever you stream music or buy music or whatever. Um Listen to the Sunstroke EP, Bloom at Night. Um, it's so fucking good. It's just so fucking good. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those releases. It's kind of happening a bit more that I'm giving more music a crack and making a concerted effort to have a crack at new music. But um, it's one of those releases that you, I, I listened to and was like, wow, music can still get me stoked. Like, people playing music and new music and that kind of thing can still get me stoked. Like, oh, I don't need all my bands to sound like, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I don't need all my bands to sound like Fat Records bands or No Effects anymore. Um, and not that I ever did, but like, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. You know me. I'm that guy. Anyhow, so Bloom at Night uh, on New Morality Zine. Um, Google Sunstroke Bloom at Night, B-O-O-L-B-L-O-O-M, sorry, at night. Um Check it out. It's fucking great. Sit back. Chill. It's not a huge episode, as I said, because it's going to be in two parts. Me talking's made it. hasn't really helped the cause at all, but anyhow. Um, hopefully I haven't missed anything. And we'll speak to you at the end. Cool. Alrighty, episode 46 of the My Age podcast. Uh, with me on the line, I've got Sean Farlow from Sunstroke. Um, last year they recorded, they released an EP and it was fucking fantastic. Um, look, I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking and I'll, I'll let Sean do all the talking. How you doing, mate? How are you? I'm very good. Very you good. Doing man. all right? Yeah, good, good, good. So we just we had a quick conversation before we recorded. Um, you've heard an ep- you've heard a, an episode or two, so you know how this works. Like, let's just jump in. Tell us about your parents. So in in my house, like I I remember music playing um but more so in like car rides and uh you know when i was younger my um my dad uh worked overnight and so when i would end up seeing him like while i was awake uh it usually was on weekends and like riding in the car with him was different because it wasn't what I was normally used to, like throughout the week and all the other times I would always be, you know, with my mom because she worked as a, like a public school teacher. So I would see her every day, you know, on, on like kind of the same schedule. My dad, I would see, you know, and they were together, but my dad worked overnight. What was he doing? So I would see him. Um, he worked as like a, you know, he worked for this company that built big machine parts when I was really young. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's probably, and I don't know how much this translates to other parts of the world, but like, it's probably one of the last, like really good, 
companies for for people at least in the United States. You know, at the at when he was first hired there in in like the mid seventies before any of my myself, my brother or sister were born, um, they their lowest paid employee was making fourteen dollars an hour with full benefits, which here, I mean, fourteen dollars an hour is above minimum wage here now. So, so that was in the seventies. You know, yeah, this was close close to fifty years ago. Yeah. They they had people making more than what was minimum wage now. And that was the lowest paid person. And they had full benefits. Um and my dad just worked as like a, a simple like computer operator in, in like a little office there. And he worked there for probably about twenty years before the company was bought out. But he worked overnight and so when I saw him mainly it was on the weekends and I I have very like distinct memories of riding in the car and my you know, my dad uh was was the first person and I feel like, you know, really the first person I probably rode in the car with other than my mom, but definitely the first person I rode in a car with that uh, you know, he would uh as soon as we got a little far away from the house, you know, he would crank the stereo up and <laughs> it didn't matter what it was. Uh, but my dad's taste in music, it's not like, it's not like a gigantic amount of music, but the kind of music that he listens to is is eclectic. It's very different from one another. Like, um, there's a handful of artists that I remember that my dad just, my dad loves, uh, like loves James Brown, but he's also a huge moody blues fan, you know? So it's like, those two things don't exactly go together. You know, you got like this, like late sixties. Uh, into, you know, I mean, the Moody Blues have been together forever. Uh, but like, like early, like prog rock, right? I mean, that's like, it's like rock for, you know, people that love sci fi movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And then, and then, and then like James Brown and like not just like the hit, you know what I mean? It was, my dad was like deep into like all of the, the King Records singles from James Brown and like, uh, you know, he also like listened to a bunch of like Frank Zappa. And then like, you know, when I was growing up, he would also listen to like, and, um, like what was contemporary, like contemporary eighties, like pop music. So, I mean, like you might hear like simply red, you know, in, in his car yeah. and you might, you might end up hearing, you know, um, uh, let me think of some other stuff that like I, the, the thing that I always distinctly remember is, um, like the, the, the couple big singles from songs from the big chair. And I know that you and I have talked about that record and years before, Yes, but, uh, you know, always, always in, in my dad's car, like I, I just have this immediate, like emotional feeling the moment I hear the, uh, the guitar, like intro to everybody wants to rule the world it just like automatically hits me and you know riding in a car with my dad uh is is probably most of the exposure to music that i had you know um other than that my brother and sister they're twins and they're they're four years older than i am okay so the other exposure that i got was from them you know so i mean if you think about it in terms of age you know, they're, they're hitting, you know, age six, seven when I'm two and three, yeah. you know? So if you kind of like just get, get up to the, the ages where you start to be more cognitive and 
you start mem- like remembering things like at five, six years old, you know, they're, they're nine and 10 and they're, they're in, in this, like in this age where they're like a sponge and they're soaking things up. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of my exposure came from them, especially like a little bit later on, but like, as far as like very early years, it, it, it's mainly just riding in the car with my dad and like, you know, if my dad was going to go out and like run an errand, whether it was like, oh, he's going to go to the store and get like donuts or whatever it is. Like I would always like want to ride with him. And, you know, and, and I think that there, there are two reasons. One, like, like I said, my dad worked overnight, so I didn't see him very often. And then outside of that, like I knew that I was going to get to hear music and I was going to get to hear it loud. And I think hearing it loud for me just kind of created this, this closeness and the, like this excitement for it, you know, it makes your heart rate kind of go up. The the you know you can listen to the same song at two different volumes, but but the moment you crank it up, you just feel like it it hits you in the chest. And um and uh so where where the like really emotional relationship with like the the whole um riding in the car with him and like listening to his he. uh he had told me like when when I was just born, um, everybody wants to rule the world was like a huge hit. Now, so I was born in the summer of 1985, yeah. you know, the winter of 1985 for you, yeah, yeah. but in the summer of 1985, and so that summer, my uh, you know, songs from the Big Chair is just a gigantic fucking record, and you know, I know this in in terms of like reading about things later on. But like my dad, you know, tells me, listen, you know, when I, when you were first born and I would be running back and forth to wherever, like going out and getting like diapers or whatever, whatever it may be. He was like, I heard this song every single time I was in the car and that's everybody wants to rule the world. (laughs) And so, and he was like, so every time I hear it, I think of, you know, my, my second son being born, my, my, you know, my, I think of you. And like, that was like the first, I think like real, uh, connection to emotion through music. So I, I can't hear that song without thinking about that. And like, it, it, it makes me so happy that I also really like the song. Like I'm able to kind of like take a step back, remove my emotion from it for a second and be like, is this a good song? And it's a great fucking pop song. Yes. And uh, if you don't agree, I, I think you don't have a pulse. Like may, maybe that's my own personal relationship with it. But uh, yeah, that song can make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's just it's it's perfect. So so before we, so I guess that's the song we're going to go with. Yeah, yeah. What about your mum? Did your mum listen to much music and like? was there a stereo at home that you could kind of get access like that was playing in the house or like was it specifically like only like it was the majority of it only in the car at, at the young at the younger age um at the younger age like so if, if there was on the stereo at home it was either like my brother or sister like in their in their bedroom yeah okay. um which when i was really young i shared uh, i shared a bedroom with my brother uh and so, like, it would be him playing whatever, or if if it was, like, on the weekend, it was my dad, he would play, you know, records downstairs. 
and my mom, it was mainly just the car and it was kind of like background noise. You know, like it, it, they, they say that about like most people, um, you know, it, music is just something that kills silence, you know? Uh, and, and I think for my mom, it was, it was totally that. And it's not the fact that it's not like she didn't like stuff, but you know, it would be like, uh, just your, your, your soft rock station. So like there, there's some songs that I hear and I, you know, I automatically think of when I think of like, you know, uh, Rod Stewart's version of, uh, what is it? Uh, downtown train, right. He covered the Tom Waits song oh, yeah, okay. in, yeah, yeah. in the late eighties. Uh, like I, I think of riding in the car with my mom when I hear that. And like, it's, it's funny because I became like a big Tom Waits fan later down the road. But like, uh, you know, that's something that I, I would think of my mom. But, you know, if it wasn't for either, you know, falling in love with the, the Tom Waits catalog or, uh, you know, riding in the car, I'd probably never listen to that fucking song, yeah, that <laughs> to be sense. perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's the kind of stuff that my mom listened to. It was just kind of like stuff that played in the background. And if, if there was anything that resonated with it, it was had less to do with her and her taste uh, and more to do with me just kind of like picking up on it and being like, oh, I find that interesting. I find that interesting. I, I was probably a little bit more independent minded at the time. And I think also because, you know, the, the volume thing, I think, plays a big part into that. You know, riding in the car with my mom, it literally was background noise. If she yeah. was talking, she didn't have to turn the volume down. If my dad said something to me, you know, he would, he would turn the volume all the way down, say something to me, and then, you know, crank the fucking music up again. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, as a kid, it also, it, it separates the two things, you know, riding in the car with my mom is riding in the car, riding in the car with my dad felt like a party. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're a toddler, you're always going to, you know, opt for the party. So, <laughs>
So, uh, did you grow up in Philly, or where did you grow up? Um, so, I was born in uh, Camden County, New Jersey. Uh, the, the town that I grew up in is about 12 miles uh, from Philadelphia. So, for, uh, for people not of the state, you know... About, about 20 kilometers? Yeah, yeah, about that. Yep. Let me let me just double check on it. I gotta look at the conversion. <laughs> uh, yeah, like exactly, like yeah. nineteen and a half kilometers. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I mean, yeah, Philly was uh, quite literally an eye shot. Like right at the edge of my um, at the edge of my town, there's this big hill, and if you're there, you can you can clearly see the the city skyline, which at the time, you know, it was very new in Philadelphia. Like, uh, there weren't any, any tall buildings in Philadelphia until like 1990. And, um, but you know, right at that hill is where you could see those, those new buildings in the skyline. And, you know, I, I actually lived in that, in that town and in that home, my parents still live there now. So, I mean, they, they were first owners of that home and they're, they're still there. Was, but was Philadelphia um, was the closest city. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Was Philadelphia closer than any major city that you were living near? Like yeah, in, I mean, in Jersey. I, sorry, yeah. There, so New Jersey doesn't really have any like major cities. They have like uh, uh, places that are technically cities. Camden is, is like the the quote unquote city in Camden County, but I think there's probably less people in Camden City than. A, a lot of the town because Camden is like uh, my mom grew up there and it's it's a shithole you know <laughs> I mean yeah. quite literally yeah. it I mean it's it's just um, especially like since the seventies it's just been riddled with like really bad like gang and drug issues okay. and uh, there it, there's no real signs of it like kind of turning up yeah. there was a handful there's like there was a handful of big businesses in Camden. And a lot of members of my, especially my mom's side of the family, uh, worked there until, you know, Camden kind of became a little bit more unlivable for them. Yeah. But, you know, it was like, uh, are you familiar with uh, Campbell's Soup down yes. there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they, they're like headquarters. I mean, they still have a headquarters in Camden. And that was like uh, the big thing there. Um, RCA Victor was there. They, they had like a, a huge like uh record uh plant building um so if you're familiar with like the his master's voice right the the dog looking into the horn of yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, record player yep uh so that they had that there and there's like a hospital but um but yeah camden camden sucks <laughs> and so <clears throat> as far as like major cities we weren't going into camden we were, if we were going to go into a city we were going into philadelphia and like Philadelphia is where, like, you know, the closest sports teams are and everything, and, oh, you know, it's 15 yeah. minutes away for us, so. Yeah. It was all very close. Yeah. Was there, like, besides obviously a, a you know, a line in the, like a mythical line in the sand to mark the different states, was it was it much different, <clears throat> was the culture much different from where you were to Philadelphia? Obviously not the city, the city's going to be different, a different kind of culture, but, like, was the was the towns around it, or were the people really similar, or was there a different vibe to them compared to what you were used to? Um, 
you know, everybody sounds the same and everybody eats the same kind of food yeah. around here. So, I mean, like, I guess in that way, it's, it's definitely culturally similar. And, like, if you go to the suburbs in southern New Jersey and you go to the suburbs in, um, in like, Pennsylvania just outside of Philadelphia, they're, they're really similar. I mean, yeah. they're, they're separated by, a, a, like, a, a pretty small river. Um, you know, it's pretty interchangeable. Yeah. Uh, the biggest difference is, you know, the city versus the suburban, you know, thing. But outside of that, there's not that big of a difference. But the biggest thing that I always noticed was like in the city, you know, there's, uh, you know, I think a lot more people of color where like where I grew up in the suburbs. There, I mean, there was definitely uh, a larger group of different kinds of people, but you know, you, it's, it's very noticeable in Philadelphia. Like Philadelphia is like 50% African, uh, descent, okay. you know, it's, 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 uh, and like, even when you're downtown in Philadelphia, you may not, re- you may not ever think that or recognize it because the cities are segregated. So you see like a big difference the moment you start going West or North in the city. But yeah, Philly is predominantly a African American city. And it's also, um, got like a huge Puerto Rican population and, uh, you know, uh, a large Mexican population as well. So, I mean, like that was, I think the biggest difference to me is just seeing, you know, a lot of different kinds of people when I came to Philly. So you said there was a, like, you know, a bit of a segregation like downtown compared to west of the city. Is that current now or is it something that's kind of, is it, has it always been there or like, what's the story with that? it's definitely always been there. And like, you might see some neighborhoods shift a little bit just because of uh, gentrification in the United States is like a, a pretty big thing over yeah. the last couple of years. So you're going to see more, uh, any, any, you know, neighborhood that has like condemned houses or been hit with like uh, some kind of economic strife, you, you'll see people buy out, you know, property and buy up homes or, if there's abandoned homes, they'll, they'll buy those and then like a whole new row of homes and all of a sudden the property taxes go up in that area and the people who've lived there for, you know, 25 plus years yeah. can't afford to live there anymore. Yep. So, I mean, you'll see the certain areas kind of shift and change, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely still segregated by neighborhood and, and honestly, most American cities are, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, Chicago is a really, really obvious one. It's it's just like the North and the South. They're they're almost like completely different worlds. Yeah. So, um, and and you know, you'll, I think you probably are more familiar with hearing about it through New York than anything else. You know, you know how they would say like, oh, you know, uh, as soon as you cross 110th Street in Manhattan, you know, and you're in Harlem, Harlem is you know, it's, you'd be like, oh, it's, it's a completely like black neighborhood and then there's Spanish Harlem and Dominican Harlem and you're just like uh you know the majority of the people there when they settled in the United States or however you know it it, it tend to be all together and I think that you know some ways it, it, it's predominantly communal and other ways it's just kind of kind of happenstance and you know uh or just economic kind of situation 
but yeah, Philadelphia was was the the closest city, and you know, growing up when when I went here when I was young, it was usually for like sports events. Like I would go here for a baseball game or a hockey game uh, pretty often. Um, but other than that, it was you know around that time hanging out, uh, living in suburban New Suburbia. Jersey, just outside, and, yeah, playing baseball with my brother and, you know, uh, kind of getting exposed to, to things through having, a, you know, an older brother and sister, you know, like I said, they were both four years older than I was. So, um, you know, even when I was pretty young, my, my parents, you know, kind of had like a built-in babysitter, you know, like yeah. if, if they were nine or 10, they, you know, it's just like, okay, you can go out with them and, you know, we don't need to watch over every move because you're with your, your brother or you're with your sister. So I would kind of follow along with them, whatever they were doing. That's awesome. So you, you've kind of mentioned you, you went and saw sports and that like sports was mentioned a lot. Were you a big sports kid or was that just kind of, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, uh, you know, at, at a really young age, uh, started playing baseball. I mean, like most American kids, I think, you know, it's it's kind of the first sport that you're thrown into. Yep. And you know, my my uh, my brother was was like a big baseball fan, and so, uh, you know, the moment I became old enough, I was I was a a person that was always there that he could have a catch with, you know, and that uh, we could, you know, he could teach me to, to throw well enough so I could start throwing him balls and he would, you know, just have, like, batting practice. And so that was, like, my relationship with my brother mainly focused around that. And then, so if, you know, I love playing baseball and I love playing basketball and stuff like that with him, I would just kind of follow along with whatever was going on at the time. So, you know, whatever my brother was, you know, what kind of movies he was watching or what kind of uh, music he was listening to, I was definitely kind of soaking that up just as far as like osmosis. You know, you're, you're close to them, so whatever they hear, you hear. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And Four years is an inter- interesting gap. Like, you know, when you're six years old and they're 10, that's, you know, almost half your life. Like, well, they're almost double your age kind of thing. They're on a whole other yeah. trip, so you're getting this stuff that you'd never be able to access you know, as a, as Oh, a, completely. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that, that works, uh, a really interesting way. And I think that, that, that closeness to, uh, my brother at, at the really young age, you know, like four and five versus six, seven and eight is, is really, I think that's where it becomes really interesting because there's a, there's a point in time where you know that, I mean, you just know from being at that age yourself. Like when you get to eleven and twelve, you don't want to hang out with a seven or eight year old. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But 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 prior to that, you know, it didn't seem like that big of a gap or that big of a deal. Uh, and, and I and I definitely can look at that moment in time and see that line in the sand where it was like, all right, I'm go-, you know, my brother's like, I'm going off to do my thing, like. Uh, you know, and that's, I think that, you know, every, every sibling kind of goes through like that teasing thing. Yeah. But like, I think for, for myself and my brother, it, it like, I, for me, it almost, I think at the time kind of caught me off guard 
and I was just like, whoa, I thought we were, you know, I thought we were boys. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, okay. All right. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, the cool little brother. And, yeah. I, and that, you know, and that, you know, it, it's, it's natural. It's kind of how it happens. But, you know, my, in the nineties, especially in anywhere that was close to like an urban environment, like, uh, you know, one thing that I, I definitely grabbed from my brother and I feel like I took the reins of and like really kind of got soaked up into was he, he used to like listen to hip hop. I mean, hip hop was everywhere, especially in the States and, and in the early nineties yeah. in a big way. So that was, that was probably what, you know, I feel like outside of becoming like a baseball fan and, and more importantly, like becoming a, a sports fan was, was uh you know my brother would listen to hip-hop because you know he was a a, a male with a pulse in the 90s yeah, you know, it was just yeah. kind of it was it was absolutely everywhere and it was like it was like the one thing that i think was very accessible and youth obsessed you know like uh it's it's focused on the youth and like the people that are in like a coming of age yeah you know uh point in their life so I think that those two things were, were factors for pretty much every American in the nineties. Uh, it, it just kind of hip hop was, was everywhere, but it was also at, at the same time, I think that it was like taboo to your parents. So it kind of, it kind of worked out really well. Yeah, that's what know? I was going to mention. Were they, um, you know, your dad seems like he's in, obviously heavily into music. Would, did it hit their radar as in what, what was like the, the lyric content like was there that the panic of oh raps you know raps gonna corrupt my kids and blah 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 like did they kind of had that have that attitude towards it or were they kind of a bit more open to it because you would discover you guys were discovering your own thing um all right so i can i can give the best story my my like if, if we were playing something in like my, my brother and I shared a room, like I said, and if my brother was playing something that uh, maybe a little too loud or had some lyrical content, my mom might say something, yeah. but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like this constant thing, you know, it wasn't like a, uh, like we weren't going to get punished, yeah. but you know, she would definitely, she would definitely voice her displeasure or like turn that down or turn it off, you know, like, it wasn't, it wasn't always though. Like, you know, there were times where we'd be in the car and my brother would put on, you know, Philadelphia has one of the, like, um, still exists today, but like one of the premier like hip hop stations in the country. And that was power 99. Okay. And he would put that on in the car and, you know, we wouldn't, it would be on for a little bit. And my mom wouldn't necessarily freak out, but I think that, you know, she had enough faith in, in, you know, the kind of people that she was raising and she wasn't afraid of yeah, too much. That's a, um, that's a cool, my dad, my, my dad would always kind of like, if he heard it, uh, and, and I think that this is where I get like more of my nuanced way of looking at things. Like I, I collected baseball cards as a kid yep. and you know, I, and I feel like, um, I use this analogy all the time when I talk about, um, personalities and the way that people think but there, there's people who i would say are like front of the baseball card people and there's people who are back of the baseball <laughs> card people and, with, and without going familiar, on without going on i completely understand what you're saying 
Like I completely yeah, get that it, analogy, it, but I'm like, please dig deep into it. But I can, I've never thought of it like I've never thought of things like that before. But I completely understand what you're saying. And so here's where I can say that uh, it, it took a little bit longer in life for me to really recognize it. But this is where my brother and I differ. My, my brother is is a front of the baseball card person, which yep. means that um, the, the what you see and maybe the name that's there is uh, is is the the attraction, right? Yeah. So. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention like a sport, uh, like an athlete's name just cause I feel like going with a baseball player and, you know, Australia might be a little, but, but you know, the idea that, Hey, this guy's a big name and this car is cool and it's colorful. That's, that's what matters. Um, I'm excited about that. And then for the back of the baseball card person, which is what I would consider myself, yeah. um, is all the, all the statistics, right? Yeah, yeah, all absolutely. these things that explain why the front of the baseball card is important, why yeah. this person is important, why, uh, you know, the history of, of where they came from and where they are up to this point or, or where they were in the middle of that, right? So the, that history, that, that story that's told on the back is, is all the details. And all those details are what mattered so much to me. And... Um, my dad is that kind of person too. And my, my dad is a very nuanced fan of, of very specific things, you know, whether it's like sci-fi television, like, um, like I grew up watching, you know, Twilight Zone and, uh, you know, uh, Land of the Giants and like, um, you know, the, 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 the original Star Trek, like my middle name is Kirk and, and I'm actually named after, uh, you know, the, the William Shatner character. Yeah. I am named after Captain Kirk. It's not so, an accident. Uh, you might, yeah. And, and my dad is that kind of fan of things, like all these important things. Um, you know, my, my dad will, can, can sit there and, you know, a car will drive by like a classic car and he can tell you the year and what engines under the hood, um, those kinds of things. Um, so my dad, if he heard me or my brother listening to, to hip hop, uh, you know, and sample based music, um, he would hear, you know, these, the, the samples yeah. and, and, you know, and he would make it a point to let us know, Hey, you're actually listening to, you know, a, uh, you know, a song by the whispers or a song by, um, you know, Curtis Mayfield or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when, when, you know, when I was young and he would say that to like me or my brother, it's kind of like, okay, cool. You know, it's kind of like that, you know, the, the meme, the like, okay, boomer, yeah. you know, like, oh, cool. Yeah. You can point that out. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, you know, so my, my, like, one of the things that I did as a kid is, you know, I would go around the neighborhood in the summer and people would have these, um, you know, like yard sales or garage sales. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, when you're, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, uh, you, you, I, I would always be looking for like baseball cards, like, like what we just talked about or, um, you know, cassettes. Cause like I would ask my parents to, if we could buy CDs or something and my dad, oh, we're not buying CDs now. We have 45. You don't need a CD. <laughs> and at the time, you know, this is, this is a boom period in the, in the nineties where CDs were like 17, 18 US dollars. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of money. That that was more than, yeah, that was more than any allowance that I was ever given. So like if I did my chores, 
you know, I might be given five to $10, you know, whatever. So I'm going around the neighborhood and, uh, you know, I bought some baseball cards off of one of my neighbors. And then I also saw that he was selling, uh, like these cassette tapes, you know, and, um, you know, I'm looking at these cassette tapes and, you know, the first thing that, you know, goes through my mind is like, I'm going to buy something that I know that my mom would never buy me or my dad would never buy me uh, because this is my chance to get it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here with my brother. I'm not, there's nobody here to tell me no. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to buy this and I'm going to, and I'm going to listen to it in my Walkman. And, you know, I'm looking through and it's, this kid has like all these like rap cassettes and, you know, and, and hip hop and rap is just like, you know, the one thing that, you know, I have, and I, I always try to like listen to the lyrics more or recognize certain things. Um, cause you know, I, I, I have that, that way of thinking that more nuanced way of thinking than my brother. And I felt like, you know, I, I was a bigger fan or I, I, I valued more, more importance to the music. So I see the, uh, the public enemy, um, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Powerful. And I'm looking at this, you know, album cover and, you know, uh, there's like, you know, a prison cell and it's that, it's that famous, um, uh, uh, Glennie Friedman photo, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm just like, man, this looks like the hardest fucking thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It's so cool. Uh, you know, Chuck D is just giving the scowl to the camera and, you know, uh, and, and it's not, it's not completely scary, you know, cause like Flavor Flav's got like a clock, you know, the size of Texas on. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. this is the, this is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. And I, you know, I didn't know much about Public Enemy. That record had probably been out for five or six years at that point. But, you know, I, I knew that I, I needed it. So, you know, I see the little parental advisory sticker and I'm like, well, nobody can tell me no, I'm, I'm buying it. So that was like the cassette that I got from there. And, and I, you know, it, it took maybe 30 seconds for me to leave there and put it in my Walkman and just start listening. Fuck. You mentioning the front of the, ba- front of the card versus the back of the card. Like mm-hmm. that is, that is everything. Like that is that. That sums that sums it up. Like that sums up people. Like and not oh, in, yeah. not in and, a derogatory and, way. There's no, you know, there's no, there's not, you know, it's not bad to be either side, but it it literally sums up people, everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and I, you know the thing that I've realized through throughout life and um is that you that that analogy it works so well with you know the kind of people that you become you know friends with and close with and the people that you end up having longer conversations with more often than not um they can fall into that or they're they're willing they're willing and excited to listen to you like when when you asked me to do this i was like i can go on forever you know i I can do (laughs) awesome good uh but um my you know some some of the some of the friends that I've met through like hardcore and punk and stuff like that I've recognized that that, that is totally the kind of person they are and you can tell because it's like oh well you know this producer uh, this sample um, 
this songwriter, like they, they look through the liner notes and the liner notes matter. And, and, and they, they you know, if, if you talk to anybody that thinks that way, it, it's a, it's a no brainer. They're like a, a fucking course they matter. You know, that, that is the story. Like you, you can't have the story and you can't have what makes this special without that, without, without any of those things. This is just, this is just noise, you know, because yeah. to, to the person that doesn't, doesn't look into it, you know, and, and I think that that's like, most people, I think, look at that as like an age thing, but like, truthfully, I think that it's, it's more of a mental thing where people are like, Oh yeah, I can't listen to this music or that music. It's just noise. And, and the, you know, the, the real thing in that is like, well, no, you just haven't listened. Yeah. Like I'm not saying that you have to like it, yeah. but you can't listen to it because you you don't actually give yourself, you know, the calm and the patience to sit there and listen to it. And yeah. you don't have to like it, but but to to understand that it is more than just noise, you have to sit and listen to it. Um so yeah, I I I jammed that cassette into my Walkman and immediately was just like uh I I and I don't know if it if it connected with me more because it felt like it was finally something that was my own, you know, it, it was something that I went out and thought for myself or, or it connected with me just because like I was, I was hooked on something uh, that, that connected cerebrally, whether it was, you know, the way that I thought about things or the way that the kind of music I wanted to hear or whatever it was, like, I know that when I put it in my Walkman, I didn't even think of, like, what side. Was this on side A or side B? It was just like, just this, it in. this tape is fucked. You know, this tape is fucking mine. Yeah. And I'm going to put it on. And, and it it only matters to me at this moment because I'm going to put on these headphones and I'm going to listen to this as loud as I can take it. And, uh, so good. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, I did, that's like probably one of those definitive moments that I felt like just really, really hit, you know, it's like, I have, I finally have something of my own. And I think I was eight years old, eight, eight or nine years old, yeah. probably nine. And, and, uh, you know, outside of like playing baseball and like, you know, I don't know, like that was like, I think the first thing that existed in like art or film or anything that, that was really just distinctly my own. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, a lot of people used to take the artwork out of things and like they would just have like a loose cassette. And I'm really so glad that that the artwork was still intact in that yeah. because the cover of that, I think it has such a heavy impact. Like it visually just immediately hits you. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of that is, is, uh, you know, public enemy and their visual aesthetic and the, and the logo you know, uh, and a lot of it is, is Glennie Friedman's photography. Mm. You know, the, I think that just that logo immediately also, uh, you know, it, it connects so well with the, you know, the name of the group, but it also just, it, it looks intimidating, you know, a, a target around, you know, yeah. a guy in a, in a, in a Black Panther kind of regalia. Yeah. It's just like that, if that doesn't, hit you i don't know what's going to so were there any other like why that cassette why not what else was there like why not you know was there anything you look back at and think you you purchased that at a later date or 
Like, what was it? But did, did the guy selling it recommend it, or what's the story? Uh, you know, he didn't recommend anything. He was just like kind of like standing there, like watching me, and like he may have he may have like given me like certain body language when I picked like one thing up. Uh, as opposed to another yeah. and like there was some other cassettes in there that like I remember seeing but like you know I I probably bought three or four that day but that was the one that like it, like like I said it immediately connected like there was uh, there was some shitty stuff too like there was like a crisscross cassette you know and yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had that it, it may not it may not be all bad but in, in hindsight it's bad you know and and like that that didn't connect with me. The Public Enemy one, I think, connected with me because it, it simultaneously made me excited and a little scared. You know, it was it's like riding a roller coaster. Yeah, like you really you really want to do it. You might be a little terrified, but uh, you know, by the end of it, you're you're going to be really glad that you made that choice. Yeah. You're going to be glad that you took the risk, and uh, and you know the. the that like high risk, high reward type situation, I yeah. think really falls into play. And um, so I think that that's, that's mainly why it connected. There's stuff that I got into, like a hip hop that I got into later on that I feel like I, I love maybe a little bit more. Like I got into Gangstar when I was like, uh, by the time I was like in middle school and I, I really liked that. And like, I still, I can still go back and listen to Gangstar and like it, it's a, it's incredible. I mean, the production's incredible, and uh, Guru, uh, you know, his delivery is just kind of like very very monotone and like direct, and that always connected with me too. But Public Enemy, I think, was just very. It, it was hyper. It was. Uh, it sounded youthful. You know, it didn't. It, it sounded angry and. Uh, you know, I wasn't like an angry kid or anything. At least at the time, I wasn't an angry kid. But uh, you know, it, it's something that got my heart rate up and and was also mine. And this, this is where uh, you know the, the first song that I heard from that that like really really hit me was "Rebel Without a Pause." And like you know, it, there's there's so many different things with that. Like Chuck D's delivery is like very loud and in your face, and then it's like a constant rolling song and uh, you know, the, the drums are, are the part that's like rolling, right. It's going through. Yeah. And outside of that, like there's this, there's this sound in the background that, you know, um, you can't really pinpoint it. And like, as a kid, you know, my mom, my mom drank tea and I'm just like, it sounds like a fucking tea kettle yeah. in the back. <laughs> yeah. And it just, and it goes, and it goes through the whole song. And, and and that I think uh, it it can cause you anxiety and like uh, or it can just make you like really excited and I think that it had the latter effect on me like just hearing that like that like almost boiling tea kettle sound just got my heart rate up and my so this is where the the you got sidetracked but within the lane it, it all comes into play my dad you know would always kind of talk about samples yep. And be like, oh, you're listening to this, you're listening to that. And so, you know, I had that cassette on and like, like you know, of course, in my room, putting on that cassette, listening to Rebel Without a Pause, because, you know, at that point, that's my, that's my jam, you know. Yep. And my dad, uh, you know, he's like, what are you listening to? Public Enemy. And he goes, you're listening to James Brown. 
I was like, no, I'm listening to the public enemy. And he goes, all right, come here. So <laughs> yeah. I go out to my dad's garage. I go out to my dad's garage and he puts on funky drummer. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and he's just like, wait for it, wait for it. And funky drummer by James Brown, as soon as it gets to that break, yep. that drum stuff, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's the, the drums in, in Rebel Without a Pause. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, and I'm just like, holy shit. And he's like, you were listening to James Brown. So simultaneously at that time, you know, Public Enemy is still cool. It has, has not lost any coolness yeah. in my mind at all. So those, those first three Public Enemy records, pretty much every single song has a James Brown sample. <laughs> right, but, fair enough. So um, in that moment, you know, I start realizing, like, you know, I, I listen to, to Bring the Noise, and, yeah. you know, he's saying Sound of the Funky Drummer, and I'm like, well, Funky Drummer is the song the, that, that just the drums you. came from. Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay, they're not just taking the music from James Brown. They actually, they, they're, they're, they're paying homage and, and showing him respect, too. So at that time, like, that was, like, all the voucher I needed, you know, is that, that uh, you know, Chuck Z says that James Brown's cool, so James Brown's cool, too. So I immediately was like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with this bridge. You know, I'm okay with James Brown being from like the 60s and 70s and being cool and Public Enemy uh, being something that's badass and for me, and my dad might not like it, but, you know, it's for me and that's also very cool. And I think that that was the, the communication, that, that was all that I needed, you know, and, uh, but yeah. So like that was that was the thing that I think directly connected my world to my dad's world, and uh, you know he he still would probably prefer to never hear uh, <laughs> Rebel Without a Pause, you yeah, know. Uh, yeah. But but in hearing it, he can sit there and hear the thing that he loved yeah. and was happy to share with me. Um, so that that was like. A, that's definitely the thing that, that connected with me and and had such a heavy impact on me as a kid. It's also amazing because I guess it kind of shows your dad in, to bring back that amazing analogy, like it shows your dad as being a back-of-the-card kind of guy as well, where he where he he can hear, you know, he hears the samples of Funky Drummer and then, you know, recognises it you and says, hey, come and check this out, like, Here's some back of the card stats that some people will care about, some people won't, but like you obviously will. Oh, completely. And and I think that um, that's what that's what I recognize more now yeah. than anything else was that you know my dad, despite having maybe a, a different a different area that he was looking into the nuance of. Um, we're thinking the same exact way yeah. just just from different angles. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what, what's what's the, the, the thing that they say, like different sides of the same coin, right? Brothers and sisters! No children. Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! Yes! The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard rhyme, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling? You know it's time again. D, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They praise the music, it's time to play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show. 
a series collector or were you a team collector or were you a um a, a player collector of cards? Like so, were you were you for, um, for for it was mainly baseball cards. Yeah, but were, were you going but, for like um, sets of the set of like you know the how's baseball is baseball baseball summer isn't so if it's, it'll be like the the ninety four season as opposed to like the ninety three ninety four season, isn't it? Or does it go? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah. No, it, it would always be ninety four, and like a lot of them, they would be issued like uh, similar to like you know how the way like uh, like year models work for cars. It would be like that. Like so, the the nineteen ninety four deck from like let's say uh, um, Don Russ, right? They they made baseball cards in the United States. Okay. Or or tops, which was like oh, tops yeah, yeah. was the big one, right? Yeah. So yeah, top. So I remember tops the, and flea were the two that we get. Flea and upper deck. Oh, right? and upper deck. Those yeah, were, of course. Those yeah, were yeah. Three of the biggest. Yeah. So those would get like released like towards the end of the previous year. So like, if if I really wanted like the whole deck for Christmas, you know that that would be a good time to get it. Okay. You know, at the end of 1993, you'd get the 1994 deck. Yeah, yep, yep. And, um, you know, I was always, I was always like, I, I didn't understand that when I was very young. And, and you know, remember, like, I, I got exposed to those things at, like, three years old, four years old. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, my brother had them, like, in the little sleeves and, like, the in the binder. In the binders, yep. And so... And I was like, uh, you know, oh, this is a, this is a 1993 because that's the last year. I was like, my brother was like, no, that's 94. It's the year that isn't shown on there, you know. And and, and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. And like that's how I that's how I found out like baseball cards. And that's, and that's you know you start looking at things that way too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that was so. In terms of like collecting them, I, I would always try to. Just get as many cards as, as possible. You yeah, know? didn't matter. Just and kids, yeah, and, and kids that were selling like baseball cards in the, in the neighborhood, it was, you know, they either overvalued or undervalued. Okay. At least from my perspective, my you know my nine year old perspective yeah. of, of those things. You know, um, you know, it's like, oh, you have a Tony Gwynn card from nineteen eighty six. Like, you don't you don't think that that's the coolest thing in the world? Like, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, I'll give you a quarter for it. Yeah, like, yeah, you if know. you don't want it anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I just, I, I wanted to, you know, uh, collecting for me was, was to get as much uh, as possible of the things that mattered to me. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny, like, I, I, I maybe went through a bit of time where I would seek certain things out. Like, you know, we had the Beckett. Yep. too like the Beckett that you would look through that would show you like what card yep yeah what what it was worth where the value went like those kinds of things um we had those and you know I would always try to buy them when you know I would see them at certain stores or like again like in a yard sale um people would sell them and I would I would try to get those because I wanted to know what I what what um whatever it was that I had what what it was worth but I didn't go crazy over trying to make sure that I had every single card in the deck okay. and like made sure that I had all the numbers. But I, you know, it was something that, you know, I would seek, but it wasn't, it wasn't vitally important. And I think that, uh, this is a thing that I, I think is, is really interesting that I've come to realize 
a lot of people who become record collectors, they, they had something when they were a kid. Yeah. You know, um, like a, my, my friend Tim, he was a big, like, G.I. Joe guy. Like, he has, he had a ton of G.I. Joes when he was a kid, and he has, like, every hardcore record. Like, yeah. he's got everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every, like, hardcore record and T-shirt. Uh, you know, from like, I would say like from 1984 to 1994, it's like, he's got everything. Um, but he was, he was totally that kid that had all the GI Joe stuff and, uh, you know, all the bones brigade videos, like things that he was into. Um, and you know, and he had to have everything, you know, like all of it. And for me, it, it was, uh, if it mattered to me, you know, if the, if the player mattered to me, like, I wanted to have all the Phillies players, and if I ever saw, like, I love Cal Ripken, you know, who played yep. for the Baltimore Orioles. If I saw a card with him on it, I, I wanted to have it. Um, but, like, in terms of, you know, making sure, I wasn't, like, that much of a completist. Okay. It was just, like, sense. what was important. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that translated a little bit when I, you know, when I got into, like, records and stuff like that it was like more than being a completist i just want to have the things that i know i like and know matter to me and then if somebody or something that i really like um i'm willing to get anything that they have and and at least give it a shot like for music and and or movies it's like give it a shot uh but for for baseball cards it was just obviously like well yeah it's this guy, so I have to have yeah, it. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so, you know, the next part of the podcast is the the rebellious stage. Um, but your parents seem pretty cool and pretty open-minded. Was there – and you've also got your older brother and sister feeding you music. Did, did you eventually come across something where your parents were just like – no, like I can't connect with this in any way and I can't back you listening to it? Or were they still pretty open-minded as even, uh, even as your taste expanded? I think that, uh, you know, there there was a difference in definitely the way that they looked at it, but they were, you know, I think the other thing is is keep in mind, I'm the, I'm the third yeah. kid in, in a situation where the other two are the same exact age. Yep. So, you know, when you're hitting like that rebellious stage, uh, or the, at least the very beginnings of that like rebellious stage, my, my brother and sister are in a far more, uh, you know, they're further down the track, not fun age to raise, yeah. you know, they're, they're getting into <laughs> high school. Yep. So they, they weren't so like, they weren't like, uh, they weren't on me about anything. You know, they weren't like, you really can't be listening to that shit. But, uh, you know, I know that um, when when I kind of, like, discovered and, and found out about, like, punk, uh, they weren't exactly, like, stoked on it, you know, but they, they also didn't, like, uh, completely denounce it. Like, my dad, you know, and keep in mind also, like, in the, in the early eighties, like when, you know, punk became like a word that they really, they, they understood. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty broad. You know, the, the definition was pretty broad. Like the B 52 would be considered like punk or yeah. Devo would be like considered punk to them. They'd fall under the and umbrella. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and and so like my dad, you know, my dad likes the Talking Heads. So my my dad would be like, well, you know, I, I like some Talking Heads stuff, He's like, but this what you're listening to sucks, you know. <laughs> like, he wouldn't be afraid to tell me that he thought that you know whatever whatever I was it was bad. And it wasn't always that way. Like there would be like certain Clash songs where he would he would totally think that that it was cool. Yeah. But um, he wasn't he wasn't deep into that. He was willing to show me like the Talking Heads, and like it took me a long time to really embrace that stuff just because I felt like it was so distant from what I was into. Yeah. But uh, as time went on, I, I started to kind of, you know, you connect all the musical dots yourself and realize how, how close that stuff actually is. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're knowing that the Talking Heads were playing CBGBs around the same time as, you know, the Ramones were playing CBGBs and that kind of thing. And they were all Oh, around. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is your brother? Yeah. is your brother still a big influence on you? Like as you're kind of, as you're kind of come, like entering like middle school or junior junior school and that kind of thing, or like, have you got, have you got mates that, or like, yeah, w- where's your music coming from now? Okay. So it was pretty common here. Uh, and, and this is the, the way that it was where I grew up is that, uh, you know, your, your elementary, your, 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 your primary school was, yep. uh, from kindergarten to fifth. Yep. yep. And then sixth, seventh and eighth was was this you know middle school kind of is, is what it was always referred to yep um or junior high school yep um so right around that time is where like i i feel like that uh really becoming my own you know my own self really really hit and you know my brother's in high school and like my brother you know is in 10th grade my brother and sister both are in 10th grade so they uh, generally they're, they're somewhere else like they they're at a different location com- completely d- different school yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had not been in the same school with my brother and sister since i was in first grade at that point oh of course so, yeah, yeah you're in first uh, they're in sixth and then it'll and then it'll goes yeah so when when I got to middle school, that that like um, that closeness with my brother had gotten a lot further apart. So it, it, he was not as much an influence on me in terms of uh, like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to this because he listens to this. It was it was almost like a I guess like competition thing. Like okay. it's like okay we both like we both like hip hop, but. I'm going to know more about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to read uh, about it. I'm going to, I'm going to look through any CD or record or, you know, uh, cassette liner notes. I'm going to learn who the songwriters are. I'm going to learn, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll they'll put like uh, interpolated chorus from whatever, or certain things that they have sampled. Sometimes you'll find it in the liner notes, which is always what I wanted to do. Like I always wanted to track down the sample since my, you know, my dad made a, a pretty big deal about, you know, the James Brown samples. Um, was it you, so was it you competing it against like, him or was it the two of you competing against each other? Uh, no, that's one-sided. That's a one-sided yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just me, me competing against my brother for myself. You yeah. know, it was, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it may be reactionary to, to there being this distance, yeah. but it was definitely, it's just me. So yeah, I was like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to know more about it. 
so the the first week of, of sixth grade and I, I'm 11, I'm 11 years old at this point, uh, we get asked to do a book report. And so we can just pick out a, uh, a book from the, the school library and, you know, I'm looking around at my, the, the, the other kids in my, my class, my English class, and they're all, you know, like a lot of the boys are like picking out sports books and whatever. And like, well, you know, I could pick out a sports book, but yeah, everybody else is doing. It. And, and like the last thing that I want to do is what everybody else is doing. Like yeah. I, I, I want nothing to do with it being like, okay, and here's another, here's another story about, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, I, it's just like, don't get me wrong at, at 34, I, I won't get tired of, of hearing about certain, (laughs) certain people, but at the same time, like, I don't want to do it, uh, for two reasons. One, I want whatever I'm doing to stand out a little bit. And two, um, I, I don't want to get lost in the shuffle, you know, I, I I really don't. Like I, I, the last thing I want to do is, is to to put out something, uh, that's, that's kind of rather forgettable or something that somebody could just, you know, cover up. Yeah. So I, uh, so I, I found this book, uh, in, in like the music section and, and it was called say it loud. Right. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the story, story and history of, of hip hop and rap music. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do my report on. And so, you know, I, I took this book out of the library and, you know, got back to class and I, I read as much as I could during class. And then I got home and I really started digging into it. And, uh, you know, within that book, there's, there's, you know, um, they're, they're, they're not just talking about like, hip hop from it's like DJing infancy, like they're going before that. Right. So it's not, they're not just talking about like, you know, Grandmaster Flash or, you know, um, Grand Wizard Theodore or, uh, you know, Africa Bambata. They're also talking about, you know, James Brown and, and certain ways that he would, you know, um, kind of do like spoken word parts and songs or, um, this DJ from Philly called Jocko, uh, who used to kind of like, like, I mean, essentially he would talk shit on air over records. Like he would just like, kind of like introduce a song or talk about it on, on air, like while, while the song was playing. Yeah. And, um, and then like, uh, there was another guy, like a white guy here that got famous for doing Jerry Blavitt in Philly doing the same thing. Like, you know, like I said, just like kind of talking over the record. And then, um, uh, you know, they also talked about Gil Scott Heron and like, I had never heard of Gil Scott Heron and, you know, in, in the book, they're talking about him being like, you know, black revolutionary and like all this other stuff. Man, this, this sounds like serious. Like this guy's doing like poetry with with, with drums in the background and and, like, he's talking about like, uh, you know, civil rights and fighting for freedom and like that kind of stuff. Uh, I, it just connected with me in a, in a way that um, I think because most of my friends growing up were, were non, non-white kids, you know, they, you know, like I had a really good friend that was Filipino and a friend that was Indian. And like, you know, most of my friends were, you know, like African-American growing up. 
uh, at least the ones that I was friends with at school. Like those were the kids that I hung around. So I, I think hearing that, um, like a little bit more of that side of the story, you know, the, the side of the story from, from marginalized people just kind of connected with me. So like Gil Scott Heron seemed like a really cool, a cool kind of thing that, you know, I connected with hip hop. So I'm reading through this book too. And I get to the part that is about public enemy. And in the book, the, 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 the person who wrote this part um, said that, uh, you know, public enemy is, is, is punk for black America in the 1980s. And at the time I had absolutely no clue exactly what punk was. I had no, no like understanding and I didn't know anybody else that did. And I'd, I'd, I'd heard it like maybe in passing, like listening to like a news brief on like, I don't know, MTV or something like that. I may have heard somebody say punk, but I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. And, you know, obviously at this point in time, I had already had like this deep connection with public enemy. So I'm, I'm like, well, you know, whatever punk is, it has to be cool. Like it has to be, if public enemy is being compared to it, yeah. it has to be cool. In the same way that James Brown is cool because public enemy is out there for, for James Brown. Yeah. You know, this writer saying that public enemy is punk, that right there to me without hearing, you know, anything that I know is punk automatically bounces for it. So I used to get my uh, haircut at a, uh, in this like little shopping center in, uh, in suburban New Jersey and in the same shopping center, right down the street from, or right down like in the same little, uh, like center was, uh, this, this record store, uh, called full circle records. And I, you know, after I would get my haircut, I would go over there and, you know, I had my like allowance money, which was usually like $15. And, you know, while my brother was getting his haircut or while we were waiting for my mom, I would, I would take that $15 and I would, I would buy whatever I could. So after I read this book, I was like, I, I need to get, you know, I need to get punk records. So it was, it was as simple as that. Like you didn't, there was, was like, you just walked in with your allowance and was like, I need punk. I don't know what it is, but I think I just need it. It was as simple as that. It was, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's that, uh, you know, it's the combined like sports independence. Like my yeah. brother doesn't care about what I like at that time. Yep. You know, uh, my, my parents are being parents, but they're being parents to, to two kids in high school as well as me. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of off on my own a little bit in yeah. terms of figuring out what I like. And I didn't, you know, all of my friends, like all of my friends at that time, they all like, like hip hop and rap. You yeah. know what I mean? And so this was, this was my own thing, uh, kind of uh, very similar to the, the public enemy consent. This was my own thing. So I, you know, I walk in there and, you know, like, I feel like I, I got to have it. So I was like, you know, do you guys have any punk records? And uh, also a, a little footnote is um, I started buying records mainly because my dad wouldn't buy CDs. Like I, I would buy cassettes sometimes, but I bought records because, my dad uh, gave me a box of 45 for like mowing the lawn, like all summer. Okay. And 
in there was like all these like James Brown, like King Records 45 and a lot of like uh, Philadelphia soul from the 70s. Like uh, you, you would find like the OJs, the Delphonics, stuff like that in there. Um, and, and it was mainly, I mean, it was mainly like R&B and soul records, but that that's what I got from my dad. Like just a, a big box of 45. So having records seemed like a, a really cool thing to me. And, and I didn't know anybody else that listened to records. And, and again, it's kind of that thing. Like, I, I don't want to get lost in the shuffle. I want to, I want to have my own thing. So it was like, I want records. So I, you know, I go into full circle and I, I just say, you know, I, do you guys have any punk records? And, you know, they're looking at this 11 year old kid, <laughs> yeah. like he has like three heads. And, and it's so funny. Like, you know, I, I worked at a store, a record store later on in life. And, you know, when I started working at a store, I now understand that look. Cause you know, for them, they're looking at me going, this is our chance to form this kid. You know? Yeah. It's a and huge responsibility. So, yeah, and, and there, you know, there, there's this like element of surprise as well as like excitement. And, you know, you know, I'm looking at them looking at me and I'm like, oh shit, did, did they think like I, I said like a, like I swore or something like that? I'm like, no, no, like punk records. And the guy was like, oh, okay, well, like, what are you looking for? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, okay, all right, well, uh, okay. I was like, I have $15. And he was like, "All right, I'll, I'll I'll get you three records, okay?" So was this secondhand, or was comes, this? Yeah, I mean, that was a new and used record. Right, I mean, okay. most record stores here are like that. Like, it, it, it's new yep. records, uh, which at that at that time there weren't a lot. Like in the '90s, you know, the only people pressing records uh, and, and to, to actually sell were like punk and hardcore bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there would be promos, like and like uh, you know Pearl Jam to send out the, uh, uh, the their fan club, but they would always send seven inches. Yeah, but like outside and that, of that, and Pearl Jam, weird weird little side note. Pearl Jam released their I can't remember which album must have been whatever the second album versus. They released that on record mm-hmm. first, and then did CD like a month yeah. later, which is fucking mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, and you know what I. I for for people in the in the hardcore and punk that are around my age that probably listen to to Pearl Jam at that point, I, I think that they're they're a lot more important than people really give them credit for. And I think that that like the idea of listening to something that you have to sit with and, and pay attention to, that you can't just let it ride yeah. and walk away. Uh, like you, you gotta be you gotta be in tune with it. And I think they're responsible for for at least to to, to some degree for some of the, that generation kind of connecting with it. Yeah. So I, I went into the store and I was like, I want, I, you know, whatever. So this, this was a thing that just kind of started happening. I would go there when I got my haircut, have $15 and be like, you know, what do you got basically? So that first time I, and I'll never forget this. Um, I get the, the, he comes back with the, the damn, 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 damn. The, the first Clash record, the, the self-titled, or the 1977 UK record, that, that that's usually what everybody labels it as, right? Yep. And uh, and the Ramones Leave Home. And I liked all of those records, uh, and, and I don't know if it's 
because like there's something that really appealed to me. But I, uh, or it was just that I was a sponge, you know, I was 11 years old and it's just like, it's going to hit, you know, um, the Ramones, I feel like connected the most because they were, they were, they were a pop band, basically. They're a pop band playing songs in the, in the punk spot. Yeah. Right. Um, there's something very 60s American pop music about everything that they do. Yeah. It's just aggressive. Yeah, just just at 120 beats per minute. Exactly, and and everything else is it, it. It gave me that same sensation when I turned it up, as you know, Rebel Without a Pause, that Public Enemy did, and that's that it, it boosted my heart rate. You know, it just it it felt like, uh, you know, I don't enjoy running, and I don't understand anybody that enjoys running. <laughs> yeah. But the first thing I want to do. The first thing I want to do when I hear that stuff is run as fast as I can. And, uh, you know, so, so hearing, hearing punk was like this, this whole new door opened up to me. And, and I still love hip hop at the time and, and, you know, a lot of current rap music, but this was a new thing that just became distinctly mine. So every time I would go there, uh, you know, I would, I would buy new records and, you know, they, they were really awesome. Like the first couple of times that I went, maybe like the first three or four times, they would be picking out the records because I didn't really know anything yet. And then, then this is where like that back of a baseball card thing comes into play. You know, I start, I start paying attention to the labels. You yeah. know, I start paying attention to, um, the t-shirts that certain guys and certain bands are wearing. I start paying attention to, uh, you know, the years or, uh, more more closely to the artwork or you know if i have one ramones record i'm going to try another Ramones record. Yeah. you know uh that kind of stuff and so that's that's kind of how uh you know later on i started to pick out my own records but the the first maybe three or four times that i went there and bought you know three records every time they were just picking them out for me and uh, you know i i really appreciate the way that they curated this it's it, they they kind of went through for the most part, kind of chronologically, at least to, for for appropriately, I think they went chronologically. Like they weren't selling me MC5 records the first time I went in there, but yeah. they were. They were like you know the Ramones are. It, it's a great place to start for a kid. So it, you know it was the Ramones, the Clash, the Dam, and then it was like the you know the second time I went in there, it was like the Dead Boys, um, you know the X Los Angeles record, and like. Uh, this um uh what was it uh the uh the um like uh the dead boys yeah, young loud and snotty right yep. like they, yep. they kind of like fit into play and then like uh then it would become like uh this you know there was a radio station in in LA called K Rock yep. that played a lot of punk in like the late seventies and early eighties. And this guy Rodney, Rodney on the DJ, Rock, yeah. They, they had these compilations, yeah. Rodney on the Rock compilation. So I, I got one of those, and on that compilation, it was great because I'm like, I didn't just get you know one new band, I got you know twelve new bands. You know, there's there's a weirdo song, there's an X song on here, there's a there's a Circle Jerk song, there's a Black Flag song, um, you know, there's uh, there, there's all these new bands that I just got introduced to and like it was like that uh that time and uh I I also got the at that same moment I got the um 
everything went black. The black flag compilation was uh, like the first three singers, right? It's Ron Reyes, yep. uh, Keith Morris, and Des Sabina's yep. versions of all the same songs. Yeah. And then it was uh, the other thing that I got on that trip was the Bad Brains Roar, uh, the Roar that, album. Yeah, right? yep. the, 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 the band in DC, the Roar cassette, right? Yep. So, um, all of those were really cool. And like the black flag one was, was really cool because it didn't say, you know, the, the first press of it didn't say black flag on it. It had the bars and it was sprayed over. And it was like all this, this really interesting artwork for everything went black, Every, you know? And, uh, I, I remember being like, that's really cool. But this bad brings record, it's, it's bright, you know, this giant lightning bolt going into the Capitol building. Yeah. And, uh, that, that artwork hit me the same way that it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Like it automatically like spoke to me. I'm like, I need, I need to listen to this record. Yeah. And like, I didn't, I didn't know that like, this is 1997 at that point, probably. And like, I didn't know that like the bad brains were this thing. Like I didn't know, I didn't know whether they were together, whether they were broken up. I didn't know anything about it. Like I didn't, the internet wasn't giving me answers. And, and even at that time, like I didn't really have the internet yet. Yep. So, uh, for me, this was, it's just like, whatever is there, it's face value and whatever I hear and whatever I can read, that's what's going to connect with me. So that bad rings record, I, you know, I, I take it home and that's the first one that I want to listen to. And, you know, I hit play and, and to be perfectly honest with you, the first, like, two or three songs i was like man this sucks like <laughs> it, it's recorded like shit yeah it's, uh, it's a quiet taste you know, that it's, one yeah it's it, it, it's not recorded well uh you know compared to some of the other records and, and like you know some of the other bands they had at least like like real budget the bad brains didn't you know and you know i i wasn't i wasn't that impressed uh, but like I finished listening to it and I, I feel like I need to listen to it again, you know, and, and I'm so glad that I immediately listened to it a second time because I, you know, I hit play and, you know, I'm still kind of like a little squeamish, but I, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm missing something. And then the regulator comes on, yep. you know, and, and it's that bass intro, right? You know, and, and it's, soon as that hit, I'm like, man, this is it. You know, I, I, I feel like I get it now, you know? And, and from that moment on, I was like, nobody, and still to this day, I'll say, like, nobody can play hardcore the way the Bad Brains can. And when I heard the regulator, it automatically, it, it hit that nerve, you know, it hit that, that, that bone in my body that was going to make it absolutely perfect and um so that was that was my you know like my 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 bridge from any kind of music into punk was public enemy my my bridge from punk into hardcore uh without really even knowing that it was hardcore at the time is bad brains and and the regulator is that song it's just the the one that the moment it starts so not only sonically is, is my, my heart racing and everything, you know, so I'm also lyrics because, you know, back of the baseball cards, yep. you know, and 
you know, I start reading those lyrics and I'm like, man, th- these lyrics, they sound like a, like a sci-fi music. You know, it's, it's, you know, you tell me what to say and when to say it, yep. you tell me what to do and how to do it, you know, and, and, and it's talking about like, if I question you, um, you're, you're just, you're going to control me and you do control me. You're going to control me more. Uh, you know, you're, you're the one that, uh, always wants so much more, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's attacking, uh, greed and, and like almost like mind control and, uh, like the idea of like an overseer, it, it's the most like kind of political and, 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 and without it being super direct, yeah. it's like, it's almost like saying to people like, yo, push push as hard as you can for your independence and i remember reading those lyrics and just being like this is some heavy shit you know and uh uh and not only is it heavy but it's fun you know it's something that i i think that you know people people often talk about the first time they hear heavy music it just you know they feel like they want to they want to put their you know their head through a wall. They're just like, you know, they, they feel this un unquestionable urge to move. And the regulator did that with, with my body as much as it did with my mind. And I, I can't thank, you know, the people that worked at full, full circle records more for just kind of like, you know, curating in the, in the, in the most perfect way, this, this nice kind of easy to go down road, uh, into something that's aggressive because I mean, there's, there's no easy way to introduce somebody as a bad thing. Not at all. You know, it, it's, yeah. especially, especially if you haven't heard something like it before, yeah. it, it's going to sound like it's from another planet. Yep. And, you know, thankfully it, it does, you know, and I think that it's the one thing that set itself apart. And then for me also to find out that, you know, these are all, you know, uh, you know, African Americans from DC, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, not only. It just adds another time, level. It seemed like punk. Yeah. It, like, punk seemed like it was like, okay, yeah, this is cool. And, like, sure, it's like public enemy, but it's like, it's white. It's white public enemy until I heard the bad brains. And then I, you know, that completely removed all barriers. Yeah. And it, it was like, it, it almost became like, it almost became cooler because of that, uh, just for the fact, for, for the, the, the sole fact that it was different. You know, the fact that it was different made me like it more and made me want to, you know, um, it set itself apart from the pack. And I felt like it not only did it set itself apart from the pack, but it also did it better. I'm, I'm kind of blown away that, like, you could have been telling a completely different story had the clerk, you know, or attendant you spoke to, you know, so we're talking 97, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So the clerk... 96 could, is the first time I went there. Yeah, By yeah. 97 is when, you know, I got into a bad brain. But, like, the clerk could have gone, you know, you're still hot on the heels of the, you know, the 94 punk explosion... The clerk could have easily gone, yeah, cool. Um, here's Green Day, here's Rancid, here's No Effects, and your story taken. Yeah. At not a completely different kind of diversion, but like you 
you, you, and you'll eventually end up at the same place. But yeah, what an amazing concept to go. No, 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 no. You, you don't want to hear what's happening now. You need the, you know, here's the, here's where it started, kind of thing. And that's a that's a really impressive, you know, you know that's fucking really cool of the clerk to do that. Yeah, and and I feel like if I if I had gone into a different store, it probably would have been a different story. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it it just it it's a stroke of luck that ended up paying off in a big way. Like, I don't like to just sit here and act like you know I I made all the right decisions and I got into all the right things uh, because I don't think that there is any any right way to do things. Because I had, I had heard Green Day, and Green Day was just radio rock to me. And okay. There was nothing, you know, necessarily, you know, punk about it until until I realized, you know, how closely related they were later on. Yeah. But, you know, when I had heard Green Day, I was younger, and, you know, that stuff I, I knew was, like, basically pop songs and radio songs. They weren't They weren't songs that I think you know, uh, they didn't make me feel like I, uh, like I was rebelling against something. Yeah. And, and probably because, you know, when, when I heard them, I wasn't in a situation where I was like, I wasn't making my own decisions. Yeah. I wasn't seeking it out. It was just, it was, it was in front of me. It was on TV. It was on the radio. So it was, it was already accessible. Yeah. To everybody uh, when else. you, when you go out and you make that decision, when you make that decision yourself, it's much different. In my in my opinion, um, regulator is part is the you know the meat in a a three track like classic three track combination, being attitude regulator and band in DC. Yeah. Like you can't there yeah. aren't many albums where you can go. They've put these three songs together and they are fucking perfect. You know they they were just kind of made to go together. Um, yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's one of them. You know, there's yeah, there's not many like you know you, you'll pick an album, you'll be like, oh, this song's great, and then this song's cool, oh, and then this one after it's fantastic. It's like no, 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 these three together make a holy trinity of songs, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's attitude regulator band in DC. Like those, it, it it hits so hard. And then for me, so. Me, this is a really interesting like little footnote before before we get into regulator. But like uh, after Ben in DC, you know, you you hear Jock calling, and yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a dub song, and you're just like, okay, this took a turn. But then all of a sudden, Super Touch shit that goes in, right? Yeah. Yep. And for me, when when I heard that, that was that exposure to to serious heaviness because that break in that song is that. You know, and you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is this is something from, this is something that I was not expecting to be a part of, and and that was like uh, one of the coolest things for me is, is you know you go through this little reggae turn and then it comes back and it not only does it come back it comes back harder and yeah. that's what I you know that's one of the things that I. I in the in the long view of things, to, to look at it from you know um, from the the lens of a, an adult, you can look at it and and realize how how incredible of a of a move that is to, to kind of slow people down for a second, only to, to to come back at them in a harder way. Yeah, and it just makes that song stand on even more. And I think that that song could easily stand on its own. Yeah, but 
the fact that it's coming in after a dub track makes it even even more ridiculous. Thank you for making it this far. Um, that's the end of part one. Intermission, if you will. Hopefully you have a great, you know, well, if you listen to this the day it comes out, hopefully you have a great weekend. If you listen to this a bit later, or, you you know, this is, this is a long time in the past or not too long ago. I hope you're doing well. That's all I just hope. Um, My Age Podcast, Patreon, I uh, know, paypal.me slash My Age Podcast. If you care about sending me money, you don't have to, like... Is it worth a buck? Maybe, but then a dollar gets you a lot of things as well. So that's also a thing. Uh, what else is there? GringoBandito.com. Um, uh, BlastOffImports.com to get Gringo Bandito if you're in Australia. Amazon or GringoBandito.com in the US. Um, cool. Let's, let's do it all again next week. Cool.
Yeah, 